Our guest today dreams in food, so much so that she's refused to ever let anything stop her from making those dreams her life's work. She was born in the middle of a revolution in India and ended up with a PhD serving as provost of one of the most prestigious culinary institutes in America. She now owns a business where she can share her love of food with people face to face. Her story is worthy of a movie, and I know you'll enjoy hearing it. Welcome to Unusually Successful, where you will meet a series of people who have achieved extraordinary results in life and business. Join your host, Sean Dipple, as he looks to learn what made these people unusually successful. Vera Gall, welcome to the show. Thank you. So excited. Yeah, we're very excited to have you on the show. We know that you have a very interesting story and as well a, a very exciting, interesting store downtown Greenville. Yeah, oil and vinegar in downtown Greenville. My husband and I opened it about a little over seven years ago. And we bring um, not only oils and vinegars, but, you know, pastas and pestos and sauces from all over Europe. What I love about it is it's all from small farms. So it's not like some big, you know, corporation is making all this stuff and sending it to us. And it fits really nicely with the, the fact that I love to cook and, and I love to show people and how to eat a healthy meal that really tastes good as opposed to one that tastes like cardboard. Ah, that's great. And it's a unique store as well. I, I understand there's not a lot of them around the United States. No, it's a franchise based out of the Netherlands. So there are lots of stores in Europe, about 120 stores in Europe, but only 10 stores in the United States. And the other one, the closest next store to this one uh, would be in Pennsylvania. So oh, wow. It's kind of cool that just Greenville has this little tiny store that is uh, a really unique store for the That is the area. unique. Yeah. People in Greenville need to... Uh, there's a lot of really interesting, unique people in the upstate of South Carolina that I've learned, especially with doing this podcast. Get to learn about all the different personalities and as well as the unique businesses. Absolutely. And, and, you know, especially downtown Greenville, there's so many different kinds of stores and people and people have come from different parts of the world. And, and it's just kind of fun. It's a really, when Joe and I, my husband and I found Greenville, we instantly fell in love with the place. I mean, we were not expecting to open our store in Greenville. We had planned on opening our store in Savannah and living in our uh, vacation home that we had at the time in Bluffton, South Carolina. But it didn't kind of work out. It didn't feel good in our guts. And we really wanted to stay in South Carolina. So we said, let's just drive around till we find a town we want to live in. And literally, that's how we found Greenville. And my goodness, you know, you have the music downtown and the farmer's market and all sorts of other fun things going on. And we walked around and said, wow, just feels cosmopolitan, feels like a much bigger city in terms yes. of amenities than it really is in terms of size. So yeah, we love it here. We do too. We're not from the area, but when I got an opportunity to take on a position at Sharp Business Systems, my wife was like, where are we? Where are you interviewing? I said, well, let's go downtown and check it out. 
and that's what won us over is yeah. that we went downtown and we were like we were in love because we we love Chicago and Charlotte and, and and all those cities but those cities come with the big city issues and Greenville's kind of a miniature version of those yeah but you still get great theater and you still get yeah. great art and you still get awesome shops and restaurants and so it's kind of like having a big city in a small place and and there's great community in greenville which is what i love and your shop contributes to the culture of that you guys are right down on main street right yeah we're right down on main street uh, right where where they what they call Noma Square, which is, you know, where all the music gets held usually. But yeah, we're right downtown. We love being part of downtown. We love being part of the community in general as well. You know, uh, part of the reason my husband and I kind of quit our corporate jobs eight years ago and moved to Greenville to open a store was the interest in not just living someplace and, and selling things to somebody, but being part of a community and being part of kind of fabric, if you will. And your husband's involved in the business as well. Yeah, you know, we used to never see each other. He traveled all over the world and uh, as part of his work, and I traveled across the United States, so we never saw each other for more than maybe a week, a month. And now we live together and we work together and we haven't killed each other in eight years, <laughs> so it must be going well. <laughs> so the store's been open how long? Uh, November was our seven-year anniversary. Seven so, years. Yeah. It's been awesome. Well, I know it's been quite a journey to get you to this point, to where you had the ability to open up this very unique franchise. And for your husband, who was traveling the world, for you guys to come together, obviously that was a big lifestyle change. And you have a pretty interesting story. Tell me about your website, because this is where I first learned about your story. Yeah, so last year when the pandemic hit, I decided to take the time when the store wasn't really fully functioning and launch a, a dream of mine, which is a website with recipes uh, oh, and okay. stories. And so chefvera.com was what we decided to call it. And it's really my mechanism for trying to get to people the hundreds of times I send an, uh, you know, I get an email from a, from a guest that says, can you give me that recipe that you were talking to me about? And this was the kind of a way to, to do that. But it was also a way to kind of bring some stories and some education about the Mediterranean diet and healthy eating to people who might get to the website. And it's been quite a journey for us to kind of get to that. But the website is called chefware.com. And it connects eventually to our, our oil and vinegar business, but really it's about helping people just kind of read some stories about food and make some delicious lunches and dinners. And and you do some cooking classes that are associated with the store as well? Yeah, we do. We were doing classes in store itself, and now we don't because of some restrictions. We want to kind of wait it out a little bit, but we're doing Zoom classes, which are really fun. Oh, okay. You get uh, the one coming up next in a couple of weeks is our cocktails and crostini class. You get some ingredients and some recipes, and then we cook together. Have you done a Zoom class before, or is this going to be the first one? No, we started doing Zoom classes in October. Okay. So very little practice, but we're having fun doing it, and we've gotten some good feedback that allows us to get better every day. So. Well, that's wonderful. So when I was on your website, I noticed that there was a page, and very often when we have guests on the show, we talk about their existing business and what it looks like and, and, and what it does, and we've kind of covered that. And then we go, all right, well, how did we get here? We generally don't talk about the circumstances of one's birth, 
But I happen to notice that on your website, there is a section that says, why does she always say, be brave? Yeah, so my name is Vera and my middle name is Shreya. And I often used to wonder as a child, why was I named what I was named? And my parents, especially my mom, would tell me parts of the story of, of, of my birth. But more recently, as we were chatting over this last year, she wrote me a note and a letter to, to kind of tell me about why I was named what I was named. And, and kind of in her in her way, as any parent would, she wanted to tell me how proud she was of me, I yeah. guess. But uh, but I don't know. I have it here. I would wonder if I could read you just the, the first paragraph of her, her note to me because yeah, I, I think it's, it. a, uh, it's, it's a very different approach to kind of how life can start for somebody. Yeah. So here's what, it, what she wrote to me to start. It said, It was late in the evening on the 18th of December, 1967, when the government fell in Calcutta. By night, curfew was declared, the army was called out, and shoot-on-sight orders were announced. It was complete chaos, with rioting and looting throughout the city, and ultimately the communist-led government fell, and martial law was declared. Your father and I were in our bedroom listening to the 9 p.m. news broadcast when you suddenly announced your arrival a full 10 weeks early. Wow. And that's kind of what was scary. You know, it was a a time in uh, Calcutta where you couldn't get transportation or anything. And my parents were not yet ready to go to a hospital. Hospitals were not available as, you know, uh, around the corner kind of as, as they might be today. Um, so they find this, found this poor taxi driver and, you know, convinced him to take my mom to a clinic nearby that was certainly not equipped for a premature birth. Um, I was actually one of twins and my twin did not survive. It was just a very nerve wracking kind of uh, time for my parents. And uh, they brought a, a doctor in uh, who had been had studied in the United Kingdom and was in Calcutta and he came in. And my mom always says that it was so nerve-wracking to watch how he was getting focused on what had to be done to keep me alive. And at the end of about six hours, he said to my mom, she's going to live. And um, my mom and dad always say that watching me struggle for every breath and go through that first five or six hours, the only thing they could think of was how brave I was. And so that's why they named me Vera, which means brave in Hindi, which is the language of India. Wow. So that's how I got my name. Wow. How proud you must be to have that name. Absolutely. And, you know, every day I try to I try to be brave yeah. every day. I've, I've done some things in my life that I've had an opportunity to be brave. But every day is a challenge, right? And so... You know, I wake up every morning and say, what am I going to do that's going to, that's going to take me out of my comfort zone a little bit and allow me to be brave a little bit? And uh, for me, that's always been something now that I've stri- been striving to do since, since my mom first told me that story. I have a feeling that's been kind of a theme throughout your life. It really has. Yeah. It really has. You know, so for example, you know, I grew up in India. I've always wanted to be a chef. I wanted to be a chef when I was eight years old, you know, when I, I was, I, I wanted to cook, I wanted to make food for people. I kind of show my love through food, I think. Um, yeah. 
And, you know, women did not become chefs in, in India in the 1980s where when I was growing up there. It was a very challenging idea for me to have to want to go into a field that my parents wanted to support me, but by the same token, they knew it was going to be difficult, yeah. right, for me to do that. But I went on and I went to culinary school. I became a chef. I had real trouble finding a job in India because no one wanted, everyone wanted to hire me in housekeeping or mm-hmm. in front desk, but they didn't want to hire me in the kitchen. What did your parents do while you were growing up? My dad worked for a manufacturing company that made instrumentation. They actually had a, a relationship with an American company, but, but he worked in India. And my mom is a school teacher. She actually comes from 12 generations of school teachers. Wow. Yeah, she's a school teacher. She taught three to seven-year-old, six-year-olds, and uh, that's what she did. She <laughs> well, that's had lots a tough of patience. job. Yeah, really, a lot of patience. <laughs> lots of patience. Yeah. My my parents were really brave themselves in letting me go to culinary school mm-hmm. in, a, in a time frame where that was not very acceptable. In India. In India. And then, of course, I you know, went to culinary school, graduated, and at the end of that, I was really struggling to find a job that I really loved. I was given some advice to maybe come to the United States and get a bat, you know, a master's degree and maybe go into the teaching side of culinary or the training side in, in a corporation. And so I took my next big brave step, which was I'd never been on a plane. I'd never lived away from home. I didn't know anybody in the United States. But here I was, little Vera. I packed up my bags and I came to Johnson & Wales University up in Providence, Rhode Island. All by and yourself. All by myself. Yeah. And I couldn't have done that without the support of my parents. Yeah. Because they were the ones that encouraged me to take that step and kind of not be restricted by my fears. Uh, and by my worry about being halfway around the world. I remember you saying something about your education in India, about when you enrolled in classes to become a chef, you were definitely the minority in that class. Five women out of a class of a thousand. Five out of a thousand. Out of a thousand. Wow. And, um, you know, when I first sat for the entrance exam for culinary uh, there were 3,000 people who sat for their exam, and there were only eight women. Wow. So it's just, you know, it was it was just not a very popular field to go into as a, as a woman. But uh, you have to sometimes just kind of do it, right? Yeah. Sean, you know, you just have to do what your heart says you should be doing. And if you can get supportive people around you, then it allows you to kind of take that step and feel confident to take that step yeah. because you do have some support to do it. But that's, you know, I've always had really supportive parents. I, I moved to the U.S. and developed supportive uh, networks of people. Mm-hmm. And that's encouraged me to kind of take those little brave steps that I, I, I kind of in- want to take, but don't always have all the courage in the world to take. <laughs> well, you obviously don't pay attention to the odds, Because when you showed up to culinary school and there are 3,000 people who want to be in in that school to be accepted, and only eight of them are women, you being included in that, did you ever think to yourself, oh, I need to do something else. There's no way I'm going to get in here. No, there's no way. Because you know what? It, It just, I so wanted to be a chef. 
Yeah. I just I, I just knew Since you were somehow eight. that I just knew that that was what I, I needed to work with food. I needed to talk about food. I needed to learn about food. There was something, I, you know, I, I watched a movie one time and the movie's name is going to escape me for the moment. But I watched a movie and in the movie, I was watching it with my parents, actually. And in the movie, my the the protagonist says, don't you dream in food? And I like almost my I elbowed my parents so hard I think they both almost fell out of their chairs, <laughs> you know because that's how I I've always dreamt in food, so yeah I wasn't gonna not go to culinary school yeah, <laughs> and then I think I read about something when you were a child, didn't you make a, a meal for like thirty people? Yeah, so that was my first culinary experience, yeah. right? I I loved cooking. And a friend of my mom's, when I was 12 years old, said, 12, okay. you know, do you want to cook for my friends? And I'll host a dinner party and you cook. And I got so excited. I spent weeks dreaming up the menu and what could I make and how many people will I need to help me and how many ovens will I need and all of this fun stuff. And uh, came up with the menu and cooked with the kind of was the executive chef and I was delegating things to my to my <laughs> my sister and my cousins and my parents and uh, but what ended up supposedly being dinner for six ended up being dinner for thirty people by wow. the time my my mom's friend had finished inviting everybody she wanted to invite it was a blast I had such a good time I had such a great time I had a great time just prepping it all and 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 planning it and then doing it and then the rush you feel when you f- see people enjoy something that you got to make yeah it was cool i bet after that you were like this is what i want to do was that kind of a pivotal moment for you I, it was yeah. it was it was what really reinforced to me that i was going to go to culinary school no matter what yeah and if nobody allowed me to work in their restaurant or their hotel that's all right. I would still figure out a way to do this. Yeah. Wow. That's an inspiring story in itself, in the sense that your parents allowed you to make a meal for so many people. And then it just seems like you were fearless. Well, I, I think my parents were more nervous about it than I was yeah. at the time because I didn't know better. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, I hadn't had the experience of having something fail, you know, calamitously yeah, around me right. so uh so I didn't really know what that fear needed to be like until much later in yeah. life <laughs> well that's good sometimes when we're young and we don't know any better we can just rush in and and then we think about the consequences later and you think wow what if that whole night was a disaster you know yeah. what would that have done and yeah and what what a pivotal moment that would have been right sure yeah probably taking me in a completely different direction yeah it sounds like your parents although they were nervous for you they just had this vision for you to encourage you to follow your dreams no matter what those dreams were you know my dad really had two daughters has two daughters in a in a culture where sons are what people want yeah. right and he always said to us growing up you too will do whatever you want to do and I will support it. And my parents have always been there for me and I've yeah. always done that. And that's, you know, that's part of my life story that I think is really cool is I was able to be brave because I was allowed to be brave. Yes. So no brothers. No brothers. Right. Just me and my younger sister. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me about your thoughts when coming to a completely new country. 
you know, what didn't you know and what did you realize you didn't know when you got here? Well, you know, I grew up speaking English and okay. um, and I grew up watching lots of movies that were from the United States. So uh, I was pretty sure that I was going to be just fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I was definitely scared because I had, like I said, never been on a plane or been out of the country and I didn't know anybody. But, you know, I, I didn't I didn't really think that I'd have any cultural barriers or or language barriers when I got here and it's I was so wrong uh because even though I spoke English and even though I uh had watched lots of movies uh that was based in the United States I certainly didn't understand the culture of the United States and I always laugh and talk about you know little things uh, the lots of baseball analogies for example that people use in the United States and I grew up in a country that didn't didn't play baseball so, you know, it just wasn't familiar to me. And when you tell people to uh, go touch base with somebody, we I use that phrase all the time now, mm-hmm, but that's sure. 30 years later, right? Yeah. At the time, I was not quite sure what that meant. But yeah, I, I, I came to the United States, uh, arrived in Boston, took this bus ride to Providence uh, and uh, tried to figure out how to get used to being in a culture that I didn't fully understand. Um, you know, everything from walking into a grocery store. I'd never seen a grocery store like that before in my life. And uh, all those choices, How was options. it different? Uh, back home, you went to open-air markets? Or? Yeah, open-air markets. Yeah. And my, you know, my mom, we lived like down the street from the market. So my mom went to the market twice a day to make what she wanted to make for lunch and make what wow. she wanted to make for dinner. So That's real-time idea, food there. <laughs> yeah, the idea that I was going to, you know, buy stuff for a week. I was like, where am I going to put it? <laughs> you know, but it and just just the number of choices, you know, 2% milk and 1% milk and skim milk and whole milk and cream and I didn't know there was so many different kinds of milk. <laughs> you used to just go buy milk. That's right. How is it that you your household you were you grew up speaking English is is the area that you grew up in Everyone so, speaks English. So I'll, I'll I'll tell you a little fun story about okay. me again from my, my childhood. So I was born premature, obviously, yeah. and uh, when I was you know a little over two, my parents got nervous because they felt like I wasn't talking. They thought maybe there was something developmentally wrong with me because I was uh, premature, and so they took me to the doctor, and the doctor did a bunch of tests, and figured out that there wasn't anything you know physically wrong with me, and so finally asked the question how many languages does she hear in the house? And my parents said, well, I guess she hears five languages in the house. And he said, yeah, you got to talk to her in one language and she'll wow. come, she'll start talking. And that's <laughs> what they did. So that English was the language they picked. Oh, interesting. So wife, how is it that one household can speak because five languages? Because my father comes from one part of the world, of the country and right. they speak one language. My mother came from a very different part of the country and spoke a different language. Mm-hmm. We lived in a third part of the country that has a third language. And then we spoke Hindi and English, which yeah. is the two national languages. And so all five languages got spoken in the house regularly. See, that's where someone that grew up here would really struggle moving there. Because, you know, we think the whole world revolves around English, right? I can't imagine speaking and thinking in different languages. 
But really, English is the the language of your heart, right? Oh yeah, and it's yeah. the language I think in, and it's the language that I, yeah. you know, um, I converse in most comfortably, uh, for sure. And that really was a strategic decision by your dad, because it did open up the opportunity. That's one thing you didn't have to overcome coming here. That's right. My parents were very, very sure that they were going to give their children the opportunity to be able to go wherever they wanted and do whatever they wanted, and they were going to set that up as best they could. Yeah. Were they well-traveled? Not really. Um, You know, my father ended up traveling a lot um, uh, with work, uh, Mm -hmm. but that was once I was, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old, not when I was much younger. Yeah. Well, they sound like interesting people. I know that sometimes when parents are not very well-traveled and they start having kids, which is traumatic in itself, is that there's all these fears of the unknown. And sometimes we get so worried about what's going on in our little bubble in the world. Then we watch the news of all these wars. And you think about what they went through just when you were born. Yeah. I'm surprised they weren't terrified for you. Like, don't go to the United States or don't go anywhere. Stay here. I think they were a lot more nervous than they let on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about you coming to the United States and getting your academic career started. But before we get into that, I'd like to pause for a second to listen to our sponsors. This episode of Unusually Successful is sponsored by Sharp Business Systems in Greenville, South Carolina. You may recognize the name as a leader in copier and printer technology, having won the copier MFP line of the year from BLI. But Sharp also specializes in network security, Dynabook laptops, conference room technology, phone systems, and solutions to automate workflow to make your documents accessible anywhere. Sharp Electronics is also a leader in returning your workforce to the office safely with temperature reading check-ins as well as hands-free office equipment automation. When you think technology for your office, think Sharp Business Systems. So let's talk about you coming to America. Talk about opening one door and walking through and having a completely different life than you would have had if you didn't open that door, Yeah. right? So I came to, arrived in Boston, you know, little 90-pound Vera with two big suitcases. They probably weighed more than I did. And my little $20 bill and all this other, you know, um, checks because I was afraid that I was going to get all the way across the country, the the world, uh, with money in my hands and, and, you know, went to make a phone call so I could try to get a, a bus ride and couldn't make a phone call with a $20 bill. So <laughs> needed some help One with that. One of those little details. One of those little details that you don't think about when you go to a new country, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, I came to Johnson & Wales University to get my master's degree there. And I was one of a very small group of international students. And at the time, um, many universities didn't have a lot of international students. And so uh, it was, it was uh, you know, it was scary, but it was uh, exhilarating, you know, to be in this new place and to have access to so many new experiences. When I started, I moved to Providence and uh, where Johnson & Wells is, and within the first three or four days, uh, I was walking down a street at like seven o'clock at night and probably wasn't the best part of town and I didn't know that. And uh, I got uh, mugged and held oh, at no. knife, point, knife point. And, you know, it was one of the most traumatic experiences of my life, at least up to that point, it certainly was. And yet, 
it was it was one of those moments where I just remember, you know, running to a little, you know, like a Seven Eleven like grocery store mm-hmm. and begging him to let me make a phone call. You know, I tried to make a phone call to my parents in India, and of course, the poor little guy's phone is not going to have an international <laughs> connection. So I had to wait and get picked up by uh, a friend, and then uh, I w- went home and called them. And I remember sobbing my heart out at my parents and saying, "Please, I want to come home." And my father, in his you know wisdom at the time, probably choking back tears that he wasn't going to sure. let me hear, uh, said, you know what, uh, you made a big step to go to the United States and you need to give yourself time to get used to it. And so why don't you try to stay there for six months? And if in six months you are just as adamant that you need to come home as you are today, I'll come get you. And I knew that was a big deal for my parents because my parents didn't have a lot of money. And so they, for, for my mom, dad to say he was going to fly all the way to the U.S. just to fly me home mm-hmm. was a commitment that he was truly making. Wow. But as life would have it, right, six months later, I was, you know, I had friends, I had, I had community, I, had, I was excited about what I was learning and uh, developing all these relationships. And, and I did not only decided to stay, but, you know, a year and a half later, when I graduated from Johnson & Wells master's degree program, I begged them to give me a job because I just really loved the atmosphere of the institution. Mm-hmm. I was excited when they offered me a position. My first job at Johnson & Wells was I was the administrative, administrative assistant to the faculty of the graduate school. That was my first job. But before we get into your, your career with Johnson & Wales, so... Just so that I understand, you had a culinary degree from the university in India. Yeah. And then what did you hope to accomplish by coming to the United States and getting your master's at Johnson & Wales? What I was hoping to do was to to be able to probably go back to India and go into like a big hotel program, mm-hmm. ho- hotel company, and go into their training department or go into their uh, some kind of an operations department that could connect me to the kitchen without my actually having to be a chef in the kitchen. Yeah, because so. at this point you didn't want to be an actual chef? Oh, I so wanted to, but I didn't think that was a possibility given my experience in trying to find a job yeah. in India before. So. so here you were this trained chef and everybody wanted you to work the front desk or to be in housekeeping or something yeah. like that. Yeah, you know, and so it was just kind of one of those places where I thought at least this would give me an entree into... Into that uh, world. Into that world. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, when I came to Johnson & Wales, and was, there were so many chefs, accomplished chefs, all teaching in that institution, it just felt like I was rubbing shoulders with all these, you know, really amazing people yeah. and getting to learn things, even though my master's degree was more in hospitality and management. But I got to be around all these people and I got to, you know, spend time with them and go audit classes and spend time, you know, peering into kitchen windows all the time. And it was great. What, what is the climate in the United States for women chefs? 
well, I mean, it has come such a long way. Mm-hmm. I mean, today you look at you look at the number of female-owned restaurants and the number of uh, women chefs all over uh, the United States and Europe, and in fact, for that matter, even in India. Mm. Uh, and it has come a really long way in the th- in thirty years for yeah. sure. Many, many, many of the you know executive chefs at the White House and the you know big hotel chains are all women today. Uh, which is fabulous to yeah. see, uh, and certainly has changed a lot about the culture of a kitchen as well mm-hmm. across the United States. But I think things have changed a lot in the in the thirty years since yeah, I struggled like with those decisions. Yeah, for sure. No more muggings after that first mugging. Oh, thankfully not. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I bet your dad is like. Phew. I yeah. made the right decision, but that was scary. Yeah, and and you know, I'm sure you know anybody who's a parent who's listening to this knows that that was not an easy conversation for my any either of my parents to be having. Yeah, either, I'm sure uh, at the time I really didn't care. I just cared about myself. But at that sure. moment, but but certainly I'm sure having the courage to tell me to uh, do something that is probably every fiber of their beings just wanted to run over and get a hold of me, you know? I can't imagine. Sounds like your parents are very brave as well. Well, you know, uh, courage and being brave is something that is learned. It's not something that you just have. Yeah. I think every one of us can learn to be brave. You just have to take the kind of those little steps sometimes, you yeah. know, and some of us got lots of practice. Yeah. So at this point, we're talking about now your career starts. Yeah. And you got this opportunity to work at Johnson & Wales. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I got this opportunity to work at Johnson Wells. I got to start off at a university, and then I kind of edged my way into to being a faculty member and started teaching some classes. You know, again, talk about being brave. I was teaching, my first class I ever taught was a graduate class, and I was probably, I think, the youngest person in the room. Wow. (laughs) Uh, Which is really frightening for me for a moment there, but my students have always been great. You know, the the fabulous thing about teaching graduate classes for me, and I was much better at teaching graduate classes and seniors than I was freshmen. Uh, And part of that was because when you teach graduate students and seniors, you learn as much from them as they learn from you. Mm. You just have to listen hard enough, Mm -hmm. right? And listen long enough. And that's what I loved about teaching was this ability to kind of throw out a question and get all these different answers and, and start kind of pulling together what each one of us can take from that conversation. And to me, that's what teaching has really been uh, so much a part of who I am. I, my, I always say my first two loves are food and students mm. because there's that constant need to learn yeah. that, um, that got fed for me by being a faculty member. And then I, you know, Continued on, uh, I got given great opportunities. I had tremendous mentors at, jo- at Johnson & Wells. You know, I think of my parents as mentors, but I also have a slew of mentors at Johnson & Wells, men- many of whom saw in me things that I didn't see in myself, you know, saw in me skill sets that I didn't think I had and just kind of threw me into opportunities to, to kind of practice that allowed me to kind of move up. And so I became a, um, a dean and, a, and then a department head for a uh, operational department and then vice president of operations for the Providence campus. 
And then finally, about six years before I left Johnson & Wales, I had been named provost and chief academic officer. I oversaw over 500 faculty members over four campuses. And, wow. Uh, it, it was it was a, quite the ride. Yeah. It was quite the ride. I had so many... You know, what, what I love about it is it wasn't about me. It was about the fact that it was an institution that believed in giving uh, people opportunity. I had mentors that really guided me. And I had the most spectacular group of people working for me. And you can only go as high as the shoulders of on whom you ride. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what has been the privilege of my life. So I've really, I, I loved being at Johnson & Wells. It yeah. was, it was 20, 22 phenomenal years. But you know, you get to a point in your life too where I got to a point at Johnson & Wells where as provost, the only students I ever got to talk to were in so much trouble that it really wasn't a great conversation. <laughs> uh, if they got to you, things were yeah, not good. Yeah, when, when they got to me, it was really not a good situation. But I really, I, I missed the fact that I wasn't around food and I wasn't around students as much. Yeah. You know, I spent a lot of time in meetings. I spent a lot of time on, you know, strategic planning, all of which was great fun and taught me a lot. But, you know, I kind of missed that kind of piece of being just cooking with students and spending the night in a dorm room and listening to them tell me all about their lives. And and that part I missed. And uh, at the same time, my husband, Joe, who who I met through Johnson & Wales Mm -hmm. as well, he was in manufacturing. He traveled all over the world and his health was being affected by all of his travel. And so he decided he was going to quit his job and he wasn't quite sure what he was going to do. He wasn't going to retire, but he wasn't quite sure what he was going to do. And he decided to move to our our home in Bluffton, South Carolina. And he was going to figure out a business that he was going to buy and run. And that when I was ready, I would move down and, and join him. And, uh, you know, at at that point in time, I came down to visit with him. We saw a store that sold olive oil and vinegars. And we looked around and he was thinking about buying it. And I walked out and I looked at him and I said, if you do something like this, I'm going to quit my job and do this with you. And he looked at me and said, why would you do that? You love being at Johnson & Wells. I said, yes, but I love being around food more. Mm. And that old love came back around full circle, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, isn't it crazy that how is. that happens to you? Um, and that's, you know, for me, my whole life has been kind of that fun piece, Sean, of just letting my gut tell me what yeah. to do. It it just worked out that way. And so I ended up leaving Johnson & Wales and, uh, and then starting to partner with my husband to do the store that we ended up with. But at Johnson & Wales, my, my, some of my best times at Johnson & Wales were, were when I was VP of the campus and I mm-hmm. got to kind of spend time with students a lot. So. Well, I want to know about your involvement in the Charlotte campus because that's a pretty big deal for Charlotte. I mean, when Johnson & Wales put that facility in Charlotte, that was, that was one of the pivotal points, I think, for the city. And you were involved in that. Yeah, and you know, my mentor, he was the president at the time uh, of Johnson & Wells, Jack Yenna, and he, you know, ran all these wonderful internal programs to develop people in within the institution. And one of the things he developed was a program called Senior Management Academy. And through that, he picked a few people and said, 
I want you to pretend that this is a real project and I want you to come up with a new campus. And we did a project. We thought it was just a, <laughs> you know, an academic thing. Yeah. Little did you know. Uh, little did we know yeah. that, that he was truly at the time negotiating or the, 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 the terms by which Johnson & Wales would open a campus in Charlotte. And then he picked a few of us to be part of that team that actually ended up. We, I lived in Charlotte, you know, Monday through Thursday for 18 months. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did everything from design, how big the classrooms were going to be and how many classrooms and how many culinary labs and how many dorm rooms and, and uh, everything from that to the curriculum. And we got to do it all as a group of, uh, of uh, co-workers that um, some of whom were going to stay at the Charlotte campus when it opened and some of us were not. Yeah. Uh, but we got to work as a team and pull that together. And it was, it was, it, I remember when that campus opened and we first had students in it, I drove in from the airport to go to an event and I saw students walking through that, you know, that glass fr- frontage of that building and I just burst into tears. The taxi driver thought I would <laughs> lost my mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was just such an emotional connection to have seen that from nothing to now having students in it. It was pretty incredible. That was like having a dream and then waking up and that dream is a reality. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, to me, I always say the Charlotte campus and then my store are my two babies. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it sounds like Johnson & Wales really has a culture of promoting and developing people. Oh, absolutely. It's truly unique. I mean, what how is it that they chose you to have such a role in that organization? And it sounds like I mean, you almost reached the top of the organization. Absolutely. And in and, and you know that doesn't happen to 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 a lot of people and that is the the mark of a culture that truly uh pushes people to have uh, experiences that they may not be ready for. Yeah. Right? Uh, none of growth, us, right? Yeah, none yeah. of us are ready for experiences. If you're ready for an experience, you, you know, you're probably not really going to contribute much to yeah. it. Yeah. We had lots of senior leaders at that institution that knew how to think about developing people because they wanted a legacy of people that understood what this institution should be. It, it was it was phenomenal. I had I still am in touch with so many people at, at Johnson and Wells. People I worked with, people who mentored me, people who I had an opportunity to be a colleague to, and we are friends outside of the institution mm-hmm. because we went through a lot together. We, I bet we, you know. Yeah, that's great. So it's, it would be interesting to see as we as we talk about your story in this next chapter in your life because it was twenty two years, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. After you got your master's degree that you stayed at Johnson & Wales. Yes, I did. Yes, I and did. And many different positions. I'm sure you met thousands of people. And Yeah, and some of my favorite things, though, I always say, uh, through all of that, uh, I one of the things that I was really excited about was the number of students that I got to really spend time with. And yeah. for me, my two most favorite days... Uh, and to this date, I always, September and opening of school uh, is always one of my favorite times of year. I had the privilege, as I 
you know, moved into administration to have the opportunity to talk to international students on their International Orientation Day. Yeah. And what was fun was to be able to say to them, you know, I am, I have been in your shoes, yeah. right? I know what it's like to sit there and be a little worried about being away from home or uh, maybe feeling uncomfortable because not everybody around you is like you or maybe they don't all speak the same language and some of you, English is not your first language, it's your third or your fourth language. I know what it's like and if I, little, quiet, shy Vera, could now be standing in this position to speak with you today, every single one of you is going to make it. Yeah. Right? Every single one of you is because they had so much more talent than I ever had when I moved there. So that was always one of my first days of the school year that I loved. And then, of course, how can you not love graduation, right? You watch these students that you've taught and students you know have been in trouble and (laughs) students you know have done a phenomenal job and just excelled in everything they do. And then you watch them walk across the stage and you watch their parents get so excited. And so many of our students were first-generation college students and their parents were watching somebody make this kind of momentous uh, occasion, not only for them, but for the entire family, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't, you can't get much better than that, yeah. Sean, in terms of the things you can be a part of in life. It's other people's successes. You kind of, I live by that. You sure. know? I love watching other people succeed. And I'll tell you, what's even more fun is being having the opportunity to know those students well after they've graduated. So I don't know if we have time, but I want to tell you a quick story. I got sure. stuck. I was traveling home uh, to visit my parents in India, and I got stuck in Thailand because uh, there was a strike at the airport. So when my plane arrived, I couldn't fly back out because there was a strike at the airport. And they put me up at a hotel for two days, uh, but I was like, okay, so what am I going to do for two days in Thailand? Mm -hmm. And I happened to have the name of one of my students who I had taught who was a Thai student. We had lots of Thai students who used to uh, come to Johnson & Wales. And so I happened to have his phone number. So I called him and I said, you know, I'm stuck in an airport at this hotel. I want to kind of be here. So if you want to have a cup of coffee or something, that would be great. And he said, Oh, yeah, sure. He said, I'm at work right now, and I'll come by at 6 o'clock, and I'll I'll call you when I get to the hotel. So at 6 o'clock-ish or so, he calls me from the the lobby of the hotel, and I come downstairs expecting to see this one student of mine, and there are 22 of my previous students standing in the lobby. Oh, man. And they had all come together. They were so excited that someone from Johnson & Wells was at uh, Bangkok with them and they kind of just passed me across, you know between each other I have to go to work now Vera so I'm going to hand you over to so and so and she's going to take you to this place so she's going to take <laughs> you to I had the two best days of my life in Thailand I bet wow that's great so it's that's a small the, world huh yeah that's yeah. the fun that's yeah. the fun of being at an institution uh, well like it sounds Johnson like Wells. you really had an impact on people's lives it's the old saying that People won't remember what you told them, but they will remember how you made them feel. And it sounds like you had a real connection uh, with a lot of your students. I mean, for over 20 of your students to show up to take care of you for those two days says a lot about the way they felt about you. Well, it's always mutual, Sean. Yeah. It's always mutual. But, you know, uh, the one thing that I... uh, 
I love uh, is I love to get to know people and people not in a generic sense of they're all international students or they're all from the South or they're all from wherever, but get to know individual people. Yeah. When you talk to somebody, look at them and talk to them and, and really try to get them to know who you are and let them get to know you as yeah. well, you know, and I, I think that's so important. I think it's just part of who I am and I'm, you know, if I had to look back at my life and, and, uh, remind myself of something that I should always do. There are two things I would always say. And one is, well, I guess I should say three things I would always say. One is to continue to be brave. Mm -hmm. The second is to always think about kind of how to let other people feel like they matter Mm -hmm. as individuals. And then the third thing is uh, be authentic and be yourself. And when you are, other people are drawn to you. Yeah. Three great principles to live by. So tell me about where you are now and what does the future look like? Well, you know, uh, for me, I've probably had more success in my life than I ever dreamed I would ever have. And more importantly than success in the traditional way in which you might talk about success I'm very content with my life. Yeah. You know, I'm content with where I am. I love owning the store in downtown. I love walking in and having you know people come in and taste things with me and talk to me about how they're going to take it home. You know, I want to I always want to inspire people by the time they leave my store, I want them to be dying to go home and cook because that's what inspires me to be in the store. So, you know, I would love to continue to do cooking classes and meet with people in the store and kind of inspire people to eat a healthy but really delicious flavorful meal and not feel guilty about it and uh, enjoy it. I'd love to continue to find ways to grow other people. I miss that about not being on a college campus. So I try to get involved in things that, uh, that allow me that opportunity to grow other people. I don't know if I've told you, but I started a a women's networking group called Cake and Whiskey. The I've sweet heard of that. And sp- spirited side of women in business. And we've taken a little bit of a break from it during these pandemic times. But that's my way of saying how do I, how can I help other people yeah. get to know each other or, or connect with each other and grow their own businesses? Because when we're all authentically nice to each other, we all will get better at what we do. Sure. And uh, so, I'd like to keep growing people and growing myself. We have a motto in our store, 1% improvement every day. And that's not just what we do in the store. It's what we do with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I practice it as much as we yell at our people to practice it too. <laughs> <laughs> well, with a name like Cake and Whiskey, I mean, who doesn't want to uh, be know. a part of that group? I know, really, you know? <laughs> How can you not want to drink a little scotch and eat a little piece of cake and and chat with people that have great stories to tell. Yeah, that sounds like fun to me. So what is the next chapter in this in your life? I mean, we, we've kind of covered three very distinct chapters from the, your childhood to your time here in the States and your career. And now you and your husband Talk to us about what was the biggest, that's a pretty big transition. I mean, you were at a very high level with a world-renowned university, and then, and Joe was traveling the whole world, Mm -hmm. and you guys 
invest in this business together. Yeah, it's culture shock. It it really was, and and it really was in many ways. I think my husband was uh, probably more ready for it and mm-hmm. uh, more prepared for uh, making a transition mentally for himself than I was when when we did this. But you know, my husband has always been uh, one of those people that kind of likes to to throw out an idea and then kind of step back and watch people pick it up and move with it, right? Yeah. And so that's a little bit of what he's kind of done. He's, Is he's, that what he did to you? He threw that idea out to you? He kind of threw and... the idea out, and he knew that I was going to jump on it. I think yeah. he planned that, yeah. that whole trip to the you know store. Uh, but in our next step, I think we just really want to spend time with each other mm-hmm. and uh, – you know, kind of enjoy this phase of our lives. My husband has children and grandchildren, and we need to find ways to spend more time with them. Uh, we need to find ways to uh, be more part of the community that we're in and find ways to give back to this community in, in better and better ways than we have in the last seven years. And we need to find ways to do the best job we can with our staff and, you know, we work in retail. Our staff are not going to be with us for 22 years like I was at Johnson & Wales, yeah. right? But when they leave us, I want them to have learned something that they can take to any other job and be proud that they have a skill set or a way of thinking that will make them successful someplace else. So those are the things we're focused on. You know, we're not looking to get you know, five more stores or anything like right, that. We right. just We just want to be the best we can be at what we're doing right now. And I, for me, the Chef Vera side of things, I'd like to do more with the uh, Zoom classes. I'd like to do more with cooking classes uh, because I think they're fun for me to do. It takes me back to my time at Johnson Wells a little bit. Uh, but I also do a lot of consulting around uh, uh, intercultural communication and leadership and teamwork. And so I'm trying to kind of do a little bit more of that as well. Oh, wow. So that's a whole other business that whole you have. Another, whole other yeah. little bit. Well, and it sounds like as we listen to your story, there were certain influential people in your life that kind of took, that enabled you to go to the next level. And it sounds like you want to be that person for others. Absolutely. I mean, isn't it always about paying it forward? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah. I've I've had the privilege of having so many amazing mentors, whether it was my parents or my husband or people at Johnson & Wales or people that, that I've met in the community that kind of, you know, took an interest in, in a special interest in helping to make something happen for me, whatever that was. Um, and the only way you can you can really show your appreciation for all of that is to pay it forward to somebody else. And I hope that I have already done that. I would hope that I have already done that with some Mm -hmm. of my students or some of my faculty that I've had an opportunity to work with. But there's so many more people out there in the world that uh, I can learn from, and hopefully they can learn something from me. Well, you've been a wonderful guest, and I think we've seen definitely bravery and courage throughout your life. And you've really uh, made an impact on all of us here. So thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Sean. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you want to hear more conversations like this one, follow us on social media and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for listening.
Unusually Successful is hosted by Sean Dipple and produced by Dan Johnson. Our show is sponsored by Sharp Business Systems of South Carolina. Voice acting by Becca Kaser and music by Finding Freedom. <laughs>